guys, welcome back to another episode of Dear Black Girl. I'm your host, Unique. You can follow me on Instagram at Unique Smiles. And you can follow the podcast at Dear Black Girl Pod on Instagram. Now, be sure to follow us on Spotify if that's where you're listening at. Or if you're on iTunes, subscribe, rate, and leave a comment. We really appreciate it. Also, be sure to check out this episode's playlist available on Apple Music. It's called Letters to Black Girls. Now, without further ado. Today's guest is Desiree Telly and... I'm going to let her tell you a little bit about herself and what she does. Hi, thank you for having me. I am a entertainment attorney here in New York City. Um, I'm originally from California. I moved here about eight years ago. I can't be here too much longer or I'll be considered a New Yorker. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I worked at companies like Viacom, Pandora, and ASCAP. And now I'm on my own just trying to help all these black creatives maintain their ownership. So where did you go to law school at? Did you go over here or were you in California? In New York, I went to St. John's Law School. I went to St. John's undergrad. Okay, <laughs> St. John's in the house. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Like, I am at the point where I'm now considered a New Yorker because I've been here since 2007. I graduated eight years ago in 2011. So now I'm technically, I guess, a New Yorker. You are. I can't get to 10 <laughs> years. I was trying to leave in December and move back home to California, but I'm here still. So I don't know. We'll see. So, entertainment law what made you want to get into that i loved seeing women on television growing up as a kid and they all just happened to be attorneys i first started with judge judy i love court tv (laughs) (laughs) i love judge judy and then watching shows like girlfriends Mm -hmm. you know joan really stuck out to me and then uh just different other films and the women that i liked were all black uh, attorney so I decided you know let me be an attorney I love the entertainment industry but I don't necessarily have a talent so kind of staying in it but behind the scenes is cool how did you get your break into entertainment law isn't it like really hard it is uh, my first job was at Turner Entertainment Networks and I interned at True TV uh, and I interviewed with a black man Raymond Chick who's still my mentor today and he gave me my first opportunity. I had no uh, legal experience. I had some (laughs) entertainment experience. I went to undergrad at Hampton University. Okay. So you've been on the um, East Coast for a minute. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I was a PR major so I worked in PR just a little bit but I didn't really like it okay because i remember i was taking pre-law courses at st john's and i was in the middle of studying one case and like uh i forgot it was i forgot what the name of the law class was but i remember being at that point i was like i don't think i want to do this (laughs) it is hard (laughs) i think you dodged a bullet (laughs) because i was sitting there and i was like i gotta do case studies all the time yeah and all this reading, I was like, I got to do homework for the rest of my life. I want to be done with this when I graduate. No. I don't think I want to do this. Constant learning, girl. You you dodged a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I I definitely, like, yeah, I was like, I'm not doing this. And that's, I just took my history degree, and I was like, I'll just figure it out. And boom. <laughs> <laughs> so what's been, like, one of the greatest lessons or experiences you've had so far in your career? Just being resilient and to continue working. Um, It's kind of been a struggle being a young black woman in entertainment uh, and being a lawyer. So, you know, sometimes I've experienced 
opportunities being blocked for me because of those factors, even though I've been more than qualified to do some of the roles that I was previously applying for. But, you know, not giving up is definitely discouraging when you don't get opportunities that you know you can do and you deserve and then you see someone else get them who you're way more qualified for. But creating your own lane and that's why I started my law firm. Yeah, because I will say, like, the the sucky part about entertainment is no matter how qualified you are, a big part of it is uh, nepotism and networking. Absolutely. So you'll see people that don't know what they're doing and they'll get the job that you're just like, well, damn. Right. And it's been unfortunate so far in my career that I've experienced a lot of black women blocking me from these Uh, opportunities. And it's been sad um, because... You know, I feel like a lot of them have seen me as competition, but I'm younger than you and I don't have any experience or as much experience as you. And so I'm not your competition. I want to learn from you and grow. And I'm not asking you to be my mentor, but I can learn from watching. And so when those situations happen, it's definitely hard and made me, you know, take a step back. But I think I think with those type of things, it's um it's like the crabs in the barrel thing or people are always so afraid that someone younger or prettier or whatever is going to just come and take their spot like i feel like those type of women don't have confidence Mm -hmm. within like their ability and what they've done thus far within their career like they just they're so insecure that their spot can be taken they don't believe in that you know there's room for all of us all of us (laughs) and it's like as long as you keep blocking there's not going to be a lot of us exactly at these affairs like you're going to always be in a white crowded room versus being in a multicultural room where you see everyone that looks like you and can relate to you i agree 100 percent. so what has it been like stepping out to start your law firm It's been fun, a little hard, and a little (laughs) lonely. Um, I like being able to create my own schedule, kind of deciding what work I want to do and what clients I want to represent. And sometimes it's, you know, I take on clients if it's something that I want to learn that I don't have too much experience in. If it's something that I really like to do, then I might do it. And then the privilege of saying no if I just don't like the vibe with someone or you know I feel like I'm not um, capable of giving them the best representation then I might say no so doing that creating my own schedule has been fun but lonely in the sense you know where all of my friends are at work during the day I don't necessarily have the people that I can call to hey let's collab on something like you can just walk to someone if you're in an office Um, so that's the lonely part Have you thought about, like, bringing on, like, a partner to help you? I have. I have some people in mind, but it'll all kind of be their side Mm -hmm. hustles. So, you know, it's difficult to quit a job when you have a steady paycheck as opposed to, you know, maybe getting a portion of that depending on what clients we take. Oh, yeah. Freelancing is not (laughs) fun. It's hard. Like... Because you always had to, like, if you have a steady job, you always know every two weeks I'm going to get paid. Exactly. You're freelancing. It's like, I don't know when that next check coming. So I had to, like, you know, make sure this lasts for however long. Exactly. Until that next <laughs> check. Oh, my God. That sounds so stressful. It is, but it's rewarding. I don't think it's the end of the road. I do like being on my own, um, and I think it'll give me an advantage when I decide to go back in-house somewhere. So that I think definitely I do want to go back into a more collaborative environment and an entertainment space, but I'm fine for now. So what have you learned so far during this journey? Other than just to keep going, I'm learning 
a lot about myself, what I will and I won't accept from people and in the workplace. And um, I learned, you know, understanding the difference between your price and your cost. And so the price is how much money you're willing to take up front or how much, you know, someone is willing to pay you. But the cost is the long-term benefit and effect and what, you know, some you can make if it's in financial terms over the course of a long period. So um, that applies to people and money for me. And I think being on my own was the only way that I could really um, understand the difference between the two. So how beneficial has your network been in helping you start off your own law firm? Like Hampton Network, your St. John's Network, as well as like the network from like working in Viacon and Pandora. How have they helped you? Yeah, it's definitely helped because if uh, people need referrals because I'm a um, solo practitioner. I'm able to represent the client directly. And so they can say, hey, I know this entertainment lawyer that can, you know, help you out as opposed to sometimes people not really knowing an entertainment lawyer very specific. And then if there's questions that I don't know uh, or I might need some guidance, I can call the people that I've worked with at Viacom and Pandora to give me a little bit more clarity on that. And then knowing that sometimes those places are always options to go back to if needed. Okay, so let's get to your songs. Song number five. So, Square's Outer Circle by Rocco. This is my song. Um, I'm a Beyonce stan, so when people understand or realize that Rocco is my favorite rapper, they're kind of like, what? That makes no sense. <laughs> but Square's Outer Circle, uh, Rocco is just basically talking about the people who are around you. And, you know, if they have no benefit to you, then get them out your circle. Um, and so this song, I think, really stuck out to me once I moved to New York. I moved here early 20s and kind of you know, studying to get it for the LSAT, getting into law school and being new to the career and environment. So it was kind of figuring out my place in this big city and finding friends here. And I moved here with, uh, to be, live with a friend and we're not friends anymore. That happens in yes. New York a lot. You, <laughs> trust me, that happens in New York a lot. So um, through the course of moving here and just over time, I think that I've lost, you know, friends that were close to me and I still can't believe it. But I think, you know, it was important to lose them and an important uh, or a line that sticks out in this song to me. Rocco says, I asked God to help me spot my fold. The next thing I know, I started losing friends. And I tell you not, I've asked God to remove people from my life who made me no good. And the people that I've lost, I'm like, seriously? I could not believe it. Um, but he knew better than me, so. I will say this. Um, living in New York, I don't know what it is, but you're you gain and you lose a lot of people within Mm -hmm. the process like because i grew up in uh, dc and maryland like i don't remember like losing a lot of friends like i always had all my friends and then like when i came to new york from like college to now like just the people i've met from college to now like some of them i'm still close with other people i'm just like yeah whatever And and i guess it's something about just the city that just shows mm-hmm. you like you don't need everybody right there's only certain people you need that's true so i mean wish them all the best but we gotta keep on <laughs> so what was your first year like in this city oh my god it was crazy i moved to new york with two thousand dollars i had no job i had a place to stay 
Um, but I didn't I didn't have any money. I didn't know anything. Trying to navigate the subway <laughs> system and, you know, always having a car. My family didn't think I would make it two weeks. Are you serious? Because I didn't take public transportation in California. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't go to the wash house in California. And, you know, it was just lifestyle adjustments. And then the weather, too. And so I met a friend whose family owned uh, Sylvia's restaurant in Harlem. I love Sylvia. Yes, me too. And they let me eat there every single day for free. Oh, that is so fire. That's the best connect to have. Absolutely. So that really helped me. And then people were like, girl, you need a real coat. So New York is telling me those little cute coats you're trying to wear, that's not yeah. going to work. And then, you know, meeting people. I used to go out a lot. So I got into the party scene once I moved to New York, going out with promoters, staying out to like 7 a.m. And oh, then, yeah. you know, I worked one eventually and um, I didn't work in entertainment. I worked in finance. So I used to go out go home and go to sleep for like an hour, shower, get up, and then go to work all day. And I'm like, I'm living the real New York life. Sex and the City was my real favorite yes. show and movie. Oh my like, God. That was that was definitely my lifestyle from the age of 22 to 23. Like, I don't know what was happening, but I was like, I'm just going to go out and party. All right. <laughs> Every night, except for Friday and Saturday, because that's when quote unquote the regular people went out. Exactly. So like if you really I don't know how it is now, but when the club scene was popping and you were really trying to get into the entertainment industry, you had to be at the club Sunday to Thursday just to yep. network and meet people. Absolutely. Because you'll be surprised at how many people were partying in the club, but that also worked in the entertainment industry mm-hmm. that could help you. And oh my God, I was in my life for a year and a half. My mom called me Carrie Bradshaw. I was like, yo, I'm the broke Carrie Bradshaw. Absolutely. (laughs) But I'm making it happen. Yes. And um, I've legit had like memorable experiences at the club, like stuff that. Some some funny and embarrassing moments, and then like some like epic moments that people like can't believe. Like I remember one time, the last time I went partying was when um, Jay Z came to the club. Okay. And then there was a there was a night that I always regret that we were supposed to go to the club, didn't feel like it, and the club we were going to, Jay Z and Beyonce were there, uh, yeah. and I was just like, wait, what? Right. And then there was another time I went to the club and uh, J. Cole was there and I bust my ass and he caught me. <laughs> <laughs> so I had, I've had some funny, memorable moments during that whole club era space. But did that help you make connections? No. Or you just party? I was just partying. Okay. No, it didn't help me with those connections. I did think about doing bottle service at one time. So did I. <laughs> So in that sense, I was making connections because I was being, you know, thinking I'm too good and bougie. Like, I'm only going to the top clubs if I'm doing bottle service. So I was meeting the people that own, like, Whip and One Oak and stuff like that. So I was, I almost did bottle service, but then I just, I just didn't. Yeah, I remember, like, I will always be, it was Tinjun, Griffin, Whip. Yep. One Oak and Greenhouse. Yeah, so Greenhouse. We, we started, I remember starting off with like one of the regular promoters. And then like at this time, I yeah. was just like interning as a PR agency or mm-hmm. I had just stopped. And the promoter was just being an asshole. So then like I remember um, Jennifer Lewis from Basketball Wise. Mm-hmm. We, or one of her boyfriends was our client. He remembered me. So then like he invited us to his table. He 
introduced me to this promoter who actually was like the director of marketing for Shady Records and then oh. I would always go party with him. <laughs> and then like ever since then that's when like all these memorable moments came out and it got so crazy to the point where if you go to the club a lot you stop dressing up. Yep. Like I started just going with combat boots, leggings. <laughs> yeah. Like to so all these, the top clubs like everyone's dressing up and like knowing the door person not waiting in line. Hey, Hey, and then just open it up and I was like, this is starting to get really bad. Yeah, <laughs> it was to the point. And then drinking a lot. I remember this is how bad it was. Remember Hurricane Sandy? You were yes. here for that, right? So I lived in Harlem at the time and being locked up um, in the apartment for like three or four days, me, me and my friend were like, we need to get out the house. So a guy that she knew played for the Knicks at the time. He was like, hey, we're going to Greenhouse. Do y'all want to come? We're like, okay, yeah, we'll meet you at Greenhouse. So we get into a taxi. And this is before Uber. So <laughs> I can't imagine living in New York without Uber, although I did it. But now I'm just like, oh, my God. Um, so we get in a yellow taxi. And then we're like, okay, we want to go to Greenhouse. We're, we give him the direction. So we're driving down the West Side Highway. And as we're getting closer to downtown, it's literally pitch black. Oh, yeah, no you cannot see anything. It's no lights from the apartments. There's no lights on the highway. You have some light coming from New Jersey, but not really. I think that's how it is, New Jersey. But um, the driver didn't want to continue to go. We're like, no, no, like it's open. You have to take us. So he took us. He had his high beams on. He was very scared. And so when we turn the corner, the whole block is dark except for Greenhouse. <laughs> was wrapped around the corner like greenhouse was popping we like yay so we had a good night oh my god uh song number four <laughs> so song number four is boss tycoon by mac dre and i'm from the bay so i have to rep for the bay but boss tycoon um mac dre is just talking about being a boss all the time and whatever you doing no matter the cost like always having that boss status and when you get there he go floss it because he worked hard <laughs> and so um I think sometimes when I'm not feeling at my best self and, you know, feeling a little bit discouraged, I go back to my roots, listen to a bunch of Mac Dre songs, and in particular, Boss Tycoon, like, okay, you are your own boss. Keep on pushing. You can do it and get it done. And then, you know, get a little hyphy with it, and I'll be fine. Did you think it would be this hard to be an entrepreneur? Um, No, because of the people that I know. But also, I feel like... I should know more people. <laughs> law school took me out of the scene a little bit. So I've been out of law school for about two and a half, three years. And so just working my way up. And also, I'm not trying to just establish myself only as an attorney, because I think once you do that, you're kind of locked in the box. And mm -hmm. so I don't want to be locked in that box because I know I have more to offer other than legal advice. And so I think that's the balance that I'm trying to navigate now. Um, you know, Desiree is an attorney, but that's not all I am. What's some advice you think you wish you knew before, like going out on this journey? How much it would cost. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that entrepreneurship was hard. Um, but I think the cost of, you know, a monetary, which you're giving up by going out on your own. And then, again, the cost of friendships. Not everyone understands like my schedule's not like everybody else's. Mm -hmm. I can kind of make it. Or if I do have clients, I have to dedicate 
stuff and time to them. So sometimes people will be like, well, you're out doing all these things. You're going to networking events, X, Y, and Z. You're not spending time with me as my friend. But understand, like, I'm not you know, necessarily going to these things for fun. I have to go. I'm an entertainment attorney. You have to stay in the know because if you don't, then people just forget about you. So fast. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's the good thing is the bad thing. Like, if you disappear for a week, you pop back up, you realize that, like... It humbles you like life still goes on All right like, your ego just takes a hit Absolutely. <laughs> ego, that's the best way i can explain it it's like your ego takes a hit and it, it helps humble you like stuff still goes on with or without you absolutely which is yeah it was just good to have every once in a while not all the time, but everyone. Yeah, <laughs> that little break, but then come back in. Yeah. What part of Bay are you from? I'm from Vallejo. So Vallejo is closer to Napa um, and about 20 minutes from um, Oakland and 30, 35 minutes from San Francisco. So what was it like growing up in the Bay? The Bay was fun. The Bay is ratchet. The Bay is country. The Bay is resilient everybody is a boss status the bay has haters and i say that because they kind of self-destruct the Mm -hmm. bay area influences so many people and cultures and genre and music but you never know like dj muster his whole style is the bay this tiana song that is literally d-lo and some other bay area rap groups when i was in high school that is their exact sound and so Oh, and then a whole crunk era. That's the hyphy movement. And so with that, you know, because the Bay is kind of like a dog eat dog world, other people don't really know who we are and what we have to offer. They just know too short of E-40. And, you know, Keisha Cole, too. But there's much more than that. And it's kind of it only stays local. And that's unfortunate. Well, do you feel like it's a, there's a way for it to, like, grow and become bigger? I think... If people kind of got out of the bay, you know, people, you know, always say, I need to leave my hood or whatever. But you are supposed to leave to learn what you need to learn, but always give back and bring people with you. Mm-hmm. And it, I think once the bay gets out of that mentality that only this one person can make it, and I think that applies to black people all over in general, yeah. then they will do so many more great things. We have all these great sports teams, um, you know, Warriors, Niners, Raiders. We The SAC is not really the bay, but, you know, Sacramento Kings is there too. Um, but we're known for this tech industry, which has been on a boom and pushing everybody out but the music the culture the life of the bay i i wouldn't want to be from anywhere else because that's street knowledge that you get from the bay uh we like to say we are not game goofy and you know i think that i can only get that in the bay area because i was about about to say i heard like san francisco is like not horrible at all at all you literally have to make i think it's Two hundred or three hundred thousand is damn. considered low income. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! That yeah. stressed me out. Song number three. <laughs> so, Ultra Light Beam by Kanye. Um, this song really helped me when I was studying for the bar exam, and so this was the height of the summer. 2016 just finished law school but you can't necessarily celebrate graduating from law school because you have to study for the bar Mm -hmm. the bar is like two or three months after you um, graduate from law school and so you know 
studying being in the house or the library and it's so nice outside you know how nice and how fun New York summers are and I can't do any of that stuff (laughs) being hot and then just being discouraged because there's so much information that you have to learn and you hear how hard the bar exam is and I don't know or didn't know any attorneys in my family I had you know law school friends and everybody just said the bar was hard and that was it and just to study but I didn't necessarily know completely what to expect so learning 13 or 14 different topics, uh, it was hard. And so this spiritual rap song got me through that time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to lie, because um, I remember always hearing that, like, the bar is one of those tests, like, every question's like an essay or something. And oh it's just God. like a six hour. It's just a long ass test. And I was just like, mm-mm. Yeah, two or three I, days. I had these tests. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, two or three days. That's all. Yeah. Like, oh, hell I don't no. know. It was two uh, days in New York, three days in California. So every state differs. But in those two or three days, it's about six to eight hours that oh, you're taking tests shit. all day. But I will say, isn't the good thing about like getting a license, a law license in New York, you can use it anywhere? Um. In a sense. So New York just changed to having the UBE, which is the uniform bar exam. They did that my first year. So 2016. And that basically means only a certain part of the test transfers um, to other states. If you get a high enough score and if those states accept the UBE, you might still have to take a certain part um, dealing with that state law. But it's only like 13 or 15 or 14 states that accept that. So if I go to California, I have to take the California bar. Oh, God damn. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. Like, so if you go back to California, you got to retake this damn bar. I might if oh I go to God. a firm, but if I went to a, or kept my own firm, but if I went to a company, I might not need to. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I hope I don't have to take it again. Oh, that sounds like stress. Song number two. Listen by Beyonce. This is my song. Every time I listen to it, I listen to it no less than 10 times in a row. (laughs) And I'm always crying when I listen to it. And this song, Listen, was from Dreamgirls. And she is singing about finding her own voice. And for me, again, I... I love being a lawyer. I'm not a litigator. I do transactional work, but I always find and found myself defending other people, but not necessarily myself. And so I'm trying to make a change with that. I'm trying to defend myself more and stand up for me. And a lot of my friends and some who I've lost um, are not used to that side. And so, you know, I was pushing 30. I'm like, I can't put all of y'all first. I have to put me first. And that was a big change. And so I'm happy with it. What made you realize you weren't putting yourself first? And what made you make that change? I just took a step back and realized sometimes I was going out of my way to do things for people even when it inconvenienced me because I'm so giving, I'm so nice. um, And I think a lot of times people were taking advantage of that. And while I'm vocal and I like to meet people, I'm inherently shy. And so um, I remember it was a time when I just needed somebody 
And I didn't have anybody that I could call. I didn't know who I could call and talk to them about what was going on with me. And I'm like, all these people that I help and I and for me to feel like I can't call and talk to any of y'all about this, I needed to, you know, take you that step it, back. Yeah. 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 Like whenever you do feel that way, you you definitely have to reevaluate like the people that were within your circle. But you also have to ask yourself, like, why do you feel like you can't call them yeah. for help? Right. And what was like your reasoning? Not wanting to burden other people and put my stuff on them and, you know, being considered the strong friend all the time. So not wanting to show that weakness, but the strong friend needs help, too. So y'all check on y'all strong friends. A strong friend is a hard role to play. Yeah. like But I feel like you can be the strong friend, but you also have to have those moments of being vulnerable. Because if you're right. strong all the time, they're not going to know. Exactly. You're hurt or how to, you know... How to respond to you being hurt? Like, um, it'll be like I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> like they're a little be stuck for words. Um, so what are other things you've learned? Take your time, uh, evaluate the people around you and the things that you want, and don't make emotional decisions. Um, I'm a very observant person, so that's a part of me being shy as well. But I don't necessarily like to speak unless I have facts behind it or I can back it up because I don't want anybody trying to pull my car. (laughs) (laughs) But definitely not being an emotional decision maker, I think has helped me along the way. And, you know, sometimes you might be in situations that need an answer right then and there. You don't have a long time to think about the next move, but you can take a couple of seconds before you instantly respond. So I think that's one um, important advice that a lot of people should adhere to. That's super important because a lot of people make an emotional rash. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's, I, oh oh my God. I, I, I don't think I've done it out loud. I'll do it. I'll do it like without doing it out loud. And I'll stop and think about like, "Mm, I think I'll regret that if I do that. So let me just not overreact. Because when you're your emotions, you don't. Try to think of the one or two worst case scenarios or consequences that might happen if you react like this. And so, you know, if you can do that quickly, that'll be beneficial. I know sometimes I'll be wanting to go off or mess some stuff up. Then I'm like, you know, what will happen if I do do this? (laughs) I might be doing it in my head. I might be cussing you out of my head, but I try not to make emotional rash decisions. Song number one. Prayed Up by my new favorite, Summer Walker. I love her. Oh my God, I love her too. I'm late on discovering Summer Walker. I discovered her um, in December, listening to the title, and it just came on randomly. And I'm like, oh, who is this? <laughs> so yes, I love Summer Walker. Um, but yeah, me just deciding whether or not I was going to stay in New York um, this past December or move back to California, I really didn't know what I was going to do. And then with undecided whether I wanted to stay in private practice or to go back in-house. It was just a lot of decisions that I needed to make uh, and quickly. And I came across this song. And so, you know, everyone in New York was irritating me too. People on the subway, people (laughs) on the bus, whatever. And I just was like, something is wrong with me. And so I listened to this song and she was talking about she is about to spaz out. (laughs) And I was like, yes, girl. So yeah, I'm glad I've overcame that. So what made you decide to stay in New York a little longer? Oh, gosh. So just 
opportunities outside of law and I felt like it had to be something great. So moving more front facing and in media, um, I thought that that was important for me and it is important to me. And I knew it'll kind of be a little bit easier to do that here since I do have the network as opposed to starting over in California. So while California is still on my list, uh, it's not most immediate right now. So how long do you think before you decide, okay, I'm going to go back home and try? I can't out. get to 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> so probably the next two, <laughs> by 2021. <laughs> if I get to 10 years in New York, oh my gosh, I will kind of be a New Yorker. I haven't lived in the Bay as an adult. This is, okay. And so this is the longest place that I've lived and I've lived here as an adult, so... It's just crazy. And it'll be hard because I I feel that same way about uh, D.C. Because my mom's like, are you going to live in New York forever? I was like, no, I want to live somewhere else. Yeah. I just, before I go there, I need a job. Exactly. (laughs) I can just go. Like, it's not like, like when I came to New York, I just went to college. So I had like no cares in the world. Right. But now I'm just like, my mom's about to be 30. I I have cares in the world. Right. It's it's hard when you move here for, you know, school. You have a plan. You kind of know what the next Step three is. or four yeah. years of your life is. But now when you're an adult, I'm like, y'all didn't tell me this. Y'all said stay a kid, but y'all didn't say, like, I really have to plan out my life and make decisions that will affect my, my entire, entire future. Life. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, yeah, that's another thing. Because I, I, I realized, like, I only know adulthood as an adult. New Yorker. I don't know it as living in D.C. or Maryland, right. which when I go back and visit, I'm like, this is kind of different. I don't know if I would like it. Yeah. I'd probably be bored out of my fucking mind. I do think that. Exactly. But that's only because I've been here forever. Right. When you don't have that constant, you know, selection of events that you can choose to go to or restaurants open all night, mm-hmm. it's definitely hard. And I'm scared to go grocery shopping. I mean, I go now, but I feel like I don't really know how to grocery shop. And that's something I'm learning as an adult. Like, man, I know I went grocery shopping with my mom as a kid, but now, you know, I go to Trader Joe's and buy stuff. But when I have to cook, you know, whole meals, I'm just kind of like, dang, I don't have this ingredient. I need to go back. I need to go back instead of getting it all at once. I I did learn, like, as an adult, like, when I was a child, I didn't know that vegetables and (laughs) fruit had a short lifespan. I thought they were just, like, good for a month at least. They go bad so fast now. (laughs) I'd be like, what the Yes. I just wasted all my money on this. Absolutely. And I now understand why my mom used to drink wine every day when she came home from work. So I'll be ready with my glass of my So bottle. stressed. Like, yeah. So what do you want your legacy to be? I'm still figuring that out. Um, I want it to be somewhere in between City Girls and Beyonce. <laughs> um, but I, I think, you know, I people knowing me for always helping other people, um, always helping and loving black people and making sure that we are in these spaces and it's a norm and not we need to be lucky to be in there. Um, and that I've worked really hard to get where I am and I'm always going to bring other people along with me. That's a good point. Um, how like sometimes black people, when they're in like these spaces, they feel like they're lucky to be there. Mm-hmm. Why do you think they that's like the first thing that comes to mind. Like, I'm just so lucky to be here. Like, why don't, why do you feel like they don't feel like they deserve to be there? Because it's not a lot of us there. And it's not a lot of us there, I think, because 
we block other people from getting there. Like for me, when I work at companies, I'm even if I don't know you, um, if somebody tells me they know you, I'm submitting your resume. <laughs> uh, I want us all to be there so it can look normal because when it's not normal, you're one or two or three black people on the floor, then it does make it seem like you're lucky and your opinion's not heard. You feel like uh, I'm ready to go. But if you bring more of y'all here and realize y'all, you are not each other's competition, make this a normal space for you all, then you won't have to be in that mindset of this is lucky. Or in the mindset where people be like, you should appreciate this. Like right. why? This is, this should be regular. Exactly. Did you ever have those moments while you were working in the corporate field where you felt like your voice wasn't heard or you weren't being seen? Absolutely. And I think that's why I left my last job. Um, It's a major company. I won't say the order, but if y'all look in on my background, you'll see. Um, They wanted to be a young company, but they weren't. The people who were there... um, the young people that were there, they were brought in for specific reasons because the company wanted to establish themselves in this digital age because they were an old company, but they weren't listening to us. And then there wasn't a lot of black people. Um, and the black people that were there, I I don't know any black person that was at that company who loved their job mm-hmm. and they just made it miserable. And being on the legal side, I... Um, didn't have room for growth and advancement. And I knew I was capable of doing a lot more. I would ask for a lot more. And I wasn't getting those other opportunities that people who had, again, didn't have the experience that I had was getting. So I got to a point where I was miserable going to work. I hated being there. I hated everybody that I worked with. And not in that sense, because sometimes I talk to them like, you know, You're occasionally. Just <laughs> yeah. But I felt like I would rather be poor than waste my time being here another second. That's real. And so I quit. I gave them a month, though. (laughs) (laughs) That is so real. (laughs) Okay, so before we go, um, you have to give us a Dear Black Girl open letter. Dear Black Girl, you are smart. You are capable. You are worthy. You are beautiful. You are a star. Be confident and believe in yourself. You are unstoppable. You can do it, but you do not have to do it all. You can fix it, but you do not have to fix it all. You are strong, but it is okay not to be. You do not have to be strong all the time. You are belittled. You are disrespected, but you are not broken. You are a trendsetter. You create precedents. You are admired. You are imitated. You are envied. Remember, there is only one you. You are the creator. You gave all things life. Know and understand the difference between your price and your costs. Black girl, walk with your head held high. Walk with stride and pride. Black girl, you are queen. <laughs>